Welcome in, guys. Adam here, the Orlando Drummer, and this is the Orlando Drummer Podcast, Episode 5. How you doing, Chris? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing good, man. Doing good. I heard we have a little bit of drum news today, finally. It's not so bleak anymore, Adam. Yeah. Uh, on the 11th, Minel released some product announcements. Oh, yeah. pretty cool. Uh, we've got a few... Um, symbol lines that are new for 2021. Yeah, I forgot I had these pulled up here, yeah. Um, we have the Byzance Trash Crash selection has been expanded. Okay. So we've got a few effect symbols there. Um, new Minel drum rugs, I got new sizes. So, with the sizes, that's an interesting one. Did they go bigger? They have a small and a large. I think it's like four and a half by five, and then okay. six and a half by six and a half. That's kind of cool for like a gigging drummer, I guess, yeah. right? If you, yeah, because for the, for a long time the move was to go to Home Depot and get, I don't know, Home Depot and Lowe's have like all these cool little drum yeah. rug options. Yeah, yeah, they're great. Um, protect your floors, uh, and then they've got like cymbal stand adapters. The X Hat cymbal stand adapters are new. Okay, um, I have one of the Minel cymbal stand. That's a, you have to remember. It's weird with Minel. They have the um, the entire percussion division yeah. of that that is Minel and they have a lot of weird like arm clamp kit accessories sort of things. They have a lot of really high quality stuff in that world. That's where the um this thing, what do they call it? The Benny Grabe Crasher hats come with their own little arm and it's nice. It's like nicer than your I don't know, the 24.99 Gibraltar ones or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, Classics Custom Heavy Dart, which I think you played before. Yeah, absolutely. I was, that's what I have pulled up here. The Oh, no, not Classics Custom. The Pure Alloy. Pure Alloy. Pure okay. Alloy yeah, Custom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. So they had they added a 19 to it. I get to play the whole set. I'll put a little clip up here. Um, yeah, I played these in Nashville back in August when I went and did three songs and a bunch of like mini lessons and some product videos. It was really for Minel Stick and Brush. But um, yeah, I get to put those symbols on. Impressive, man. They're, they're really unique sounding. And Pure Alloy is just an interesting line because it's a... I don't know what alloy it is, but it's not B20. It's not like the highest end alloy. So it lets them get the prices down a little. But for what they are, they just sound sound so sick. Obviously, it's not my my personal taste. I was just about the, to ask, would you add them to your kit? I mean, maybe one of them. To be honest, the 19-inch crash, the new one, that's the one I remember loving was, was that one. Um, they're, they're cool, cool symbols, man. And it's tough to put them in a specific genre too, right? They're, they're very unique sounding symbols, but I thought they were really versatile and, and sounded good. Actually, I'll just play a minute from that, that one particular clip so people can hear. Check out what they sound like. They sound really good. So yeah, shout out Minel, the Pure Alloy Customs. That's sick, man. I'm excited to see what 
what all sort of gear we would have been able to test <laughs> at NAM this yeah. year. But yeah, normally we're in uh, we're in a good season for new gear, so we'll have some some really cool stuff coming up for sure. Yeah, I'm excited for this month. It'll be fun to see what the industry has in store for us. Yeah, man. Yeah. And Foundry Reserve. I'm hoping that we get some new Foundry Reserve stuff. It's got to be weird for them to expand those lines mm -hmm. because they're such specific, expensive, beautiful symbols. But I would love to see a few more options in that wheelhouse as well, as would everybody, right? Yeah. They're, they're so sick. Bigger crash, bigger ride. Yeah, or like a 24-inch Foundry Ooh. Reserve ride. That'd be cool. Big. Big old buttery sucker. Yeah, extra thin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just a, a wave of a symbol. Mm-hmm. All right, so that does it for industry news. There you go. We'll, uh, Easy one. Yeah, small mm -hmm. one, uh, and keep it in the family. Uh, we'll move on to Q&A. Q&A? Which is always fun. Oh, uh, yeah, we had some fairly good ones this week from what I saw. Yeah, we got a few. We'll just, this is obviously it's Q&A, it's question and answer. We, we get all these questions from Instagram, YouTube, OrlandoDrummer.com, oh, yeah. forum area, anywhere. And you can email me at Chris at OrlandoDrummer.com if you have any questions. It's the easiest way. I get them directly. They go to my phone. Uh, and I could think about it for a week. Uh, <laughs> and so the first one is, I'm going to butcher this name. Okay. <laughs> We've got some rough names on here. <laughs> Kak Perquietkowski underscore drums. Beautiful. I think that was perfect. <laughs> asks, what do you think about finding your way to your own sound and style? What sets you apart from others? So kind of a two-parter, I guess, right? Um, I'll start with the second one. That's a little easier for me to answer. Well, what sets me apart from others personally? I think a lot of it has to do with a decision that I made, I want to say four years ago or so, and that was to completely unfollow and unsubscribe from the entire drum industry because I'm a huge fan of getting your getting your influences from outside of the industry. I think it's a, it's a really good practice in artistry in general to look at other crafts, other fields, um, look, at, look at the shredders in, I don't know, the basketball world or wakeboarding or fighting or any other sport, any other somewhat of an artistic expression type craft and see what those people are doing. And if you can take influence from there and bring that into the drum industry, I think you're inherently gonna end up with a more creative work. I think one of the, the reasons people struggle with being creative or being unique is because the only influences that they allow in their drumming and in their drum content come from the drum industry. So you're competing with people, I don't necessarily mean competing, but you are, you're creating content that is so directly inspired and tied into other people who are doing the exact same thing. And the reality is we're all hitting drums with sticks, right? So it, <laughs> there's a lot of crossover happening. Um, and I could reference a lot of drummers who are good at, at going outside of the drum industry to, to get that influence. But I think for me, that's one of the things, you know, unfollowing the industry, it doesn't have to be that, that extreme. But just in the sense that you, when you want to be inspired, when you want to be motivated, you don't look to the drum industry to get that. That, to me, has immediately opened up all these other ideas that I've had for styles of content, how to, um, I guess, write music in a lot of ways, but but also just just the presentation of different ideas in, in when it comes to the context of creating content, right? There's a lot of video styles that I've 
gotten from the makeup industry, which is the, cosmo the cosmetology industry is one of the biggest on YouTube. The fitness industry, another good example. It's older than the drum industry on YouTube and it's way, way bigger. Uh, the tech industry, that sector, older than drums, way bigger than drums. And so if you go to some of these other other fields, it's just so easy to get new ideas that the drum industry hasn't seen because in many respects, the drum industry is like 10 years behind the rest of the world. We're just the kind of a slow industry uh, when it comes to this stuff. So looking outside the industry, for me, that has personally been one of the, the most helpful things um, in fostering creativity and it's a type of creativity that is unique and sets you apart from other people because you're not looking where everyone else is looking. And then, so the first part of your question was sort of how do you find your own sound and what is the path to get there? And for me, this one's a little bit tougher, but I would say really it's studying outside of your comfort zone, whether that be genre or even listening to um, just other professional drummers, right? Because if, if you have your list of your top three favorite drummers, they probably all can go inside of this one type of box. So if you're a funk drummer, you might say, well, my top three are, you know, these three funk drummers. But have you ever tried studying a speed metal player? Have you ever gone into uh, the pop world or the chop world and just sort of explored some of the other ideas that, that those drummers might have? So when it comes to developing your own personal sound, just as a drummer, I would say studying the mannerisms, the patterns, uh, and just the ideas of other drummers in different genres, that's gonna be the, one of the most helpful things because if you're able to combine, let's just make this really like, like tactical, if you were able to combine the ideas of Mark Juliana with Matt Garska and then blend in a little bit of Nate Smith on the top, like you're gonna come up with this very weird recipe that is you, right? Your musical identity is sort of this, this recipe of all of the things that you've learned how to play and all the things that you don't know how to play. So uh, the more complex and nuanced that recipe becomes, the more unique of a drummer you are and the more impossibly difficult it becomes to replicate your musical identity. And so when you talk about setting yourself apart from the pack and being very unique, in my mind, those drummers just have very complex recipes uh, to their musical identity. I think that just comes from studying out of your comfort zone, listening to drummers that might not, um, might not fall right in, in your list of like favorites necessarily, but they're they're outside of your wheelhouse enough that what you gain from them just makes that recipe more complex and ultimately makes you a more unique player. Next question comes from I am Drew Wooton. Okay. Uh, he says, you post regularly with clean professional content full of clean professional playing to match. How do you maintain that kind of quality and how do you stay creative? Sure, so at the core of this question here, you know, posting regularly with clean professional content and, and maintaining it, right? That to me, a lot of that is like tactical studio stuff. It's how you set up and design your actual studio and the workflow that you develop for yourself. So for me, videos that used to take 70 to 90 hours, like a high production YouTube drum, drum lesson, that'd be a good example of a video that takes that amount of time. You know, it, it over the years, they take less and less time, where now I could do that same kind of video in maybe 25 or 30 hours. And a lot of it is just refining the process. So it's doing the same thing over and over. And I know that answer kind of sucks because, you know, it, it 
there is no shortcut. It's one of those things that's taken me 10 years of doing the same thing over and over and over, and you find out what works and what doesn't. And let me give you some really specific examples of this. When you're editing in Final Cut, as you learn the hotkeys to open up certain tools and make certain edits, and as you develop the muscle memory, just like playing drums, you develop the keyboard muscle memory of which buttons to hold and press at the same time and what that's going to do and what menu it opens and where you click. That sort of stuff is one of the first things that you'll see speeds up your creative process. I guess it's not really creative at that point, but the the process of executing a certain video. So that sort of stuff helps a lot. Also, you know, for me, one of the things that, that helps me be more efficient in this studio is that my entire setup is what I call like a set it and forget it setup. I don't have to mix my drums very often. I don't have to adjust my microphones very often. For me, maintaining my sound comes down to tuning the kit, changing heads when it's time to do that. Um, Occasionally, double checking that my microphones haven't moved or slipped or or that sort of thing. Um, But you know, how I have this set it and forget it setup in the audio world, I also have that in the camera world, right? So I have, taped on the floor uh, many different spots for where my tripods go depending on what I'm shooting. So I know what the camera angles are. I've memorized which lens is supposed to be here. I've also memorized the camera settings. So on this angle that you're watching from right now, I know off the top of my head that the ISO is 320, the aperture is 2.0, that it's gonna be at 30 frames per second, Um, shooting at 1080, like I have the camera settings actually memorized. And for a while, I had to type that stuff in my phone. That's part of it as well. But as you dial in a lot of these habits, I guess, or, or these details of your workflow, you will find that over time, a video that used to take you 10 hours to make only takes six hours now. And that gets better and better and better um, as you go. So a lot of it is just you know, refining your workflow over a long period of time. There's really no no shortcut necessarily. But for me, efficiency is all about that stuff. Memorizing your settings, taping spots on the floor for your tripods, and all of the details and things that go along with that. And of course, I can't talk about any of this without plugging my own um, drum filming lesson pack. So this is a, uh, it's a course available on orlandodrummer.com. It takes you through all of my Uh, It's not not so much audio heavy, it's really all about cameras, but um, there's a whole lesson on lighting, a lesson on framing, a lesson on lenses, on camera types, um, all sorts of different things that that apply to the most time-consuming part of creating content, creating drum content, which for me is always just the actual filming part. Of course, audio is its own category. There's lessons separately on audio. And talking on camera is another thing that takes a long time. There's a lesson on that inside of the drum the drum filming course. Um, but you know, and then to answer the second part of your question, how do you stay creative? For me, what I like to do, I've talked about this before, you know, I like to sit on my ideas. So to wake up every day and expect that you're going to be creative, that's sort of unrealistic. Creativity isn't like that. It's very, it's flirtatious. It's in and out. And sometimes you see it and then you go to, uh, and then you can't catch it that day. And, you know, it's just the nature of creativity. So for me, when I have those creative bursts, even if it's at one in the morning when I'm messing around on a laptop, you know, I, I try to harness those ideas and then revisit them over time. So much of the time when you see a piece of content that I put out, 
It wasn't like I thought of it that week. I probably thought of it two or three months ago, and then I refined that idea uh, and sort of I keep like a trophy case of all of my best ideas, um, and then I, I sort of pull one down off of the shelf and then try to work on it, refine it, polish it up, and then eventually that's what you see on YouTube. So um, for me, staying creative is about keeping that shelf stocked full of good ideas, and those come randomly sometimes. It's just sort of the, the name of the game. So I don't want you to think that or I don't want to put forward this illusion that like I can wake up and be creative every day because I definitely can't. But when I have those creative pops, I archive that idea on a shelf. And my goal is just to keep that I that idea shelf stocked with ideas. And then you can pull one down and turn that into uh, into good content, hopefully. So, yeah, hopefully that answers your question, Drew. It was a good one. Cool. Thank you, Drew. Um, that'll do it. We uh, had about two questions per person there, so cool. that'll that'll end Q and A. Oh yeah. Um, just as a reminder too, you can send all of your questions to Adam, or for the podcast in general, to just comment below on YouTube, comment on Instagram, send me an email at chris at orlandodrummer.com, write one in the forums of orlandodrummer.com, and yeah, that's it. That does it. And that will move us on to Sleeper Spotlight. Sleeper Spotlight. Let's do it. A pretty popular segment. Oh, yeah. Uh, We show drummers that the community might be sleeping on, and we get some thoughts, impressions, creative, uh, sorry, constructive criticism, if any. Oh, we should clarify, too, just for everybody watching this time around. One, people nominate Sleeper Spotlight. (laughs) Somebody was just like, hey, do Tony Royster. Just like... Okay, let's remind everybody of the premise of Sleeper Spotlight and that you have to be slept on yeah. in some capacity. So for us, as we discussed, you know, that's under 10,000 Instagram followers. Something like that, yeah. Something like that. It's in that ballpark. So for anybody nominating someone, um, you know, try to keep in mind if they have a six-figure following, like we're, we're not going to feature them on here, um, not because they're not sick players. You guys have nominated drummers that I actually love and I watch their content. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, this is sort of reserved for, uh, for people who we want to send more attention to, right, who... Are getting slept on so yeah that and then the other element of course is you can't nominate yourself come on now that's not how this works that would be abused yeah. so quickly so nominate a friend nominate a buddy shit text your girlfriend and say hey you nominate me if that's the route you want to go give it a swing who knows what'll happen but yeah i just noticed so many people nominating like famous drummers for sleeper spotlight like come on man i'm not doing aaron <laughs> spears you talking about We'll talk about Aaron Spears, but... I'm talking about him. He's not getting slept on. (laughs) So uh, we'll start off with Peter Marinland. Okay. That's his Instagram handle. Okay. Um, And we'll, uh, yeah, just start out with Peter1. Okay, let's pull it up. All right, here we go. Peter. I like his technique and that elaborate audio setup. What hi-hats are those? Peisty? What's the triangle? Istanbul. Super clean. The sounds are good, too. His left-hand diddle is very clean. That's one of those details in a groove like that that is a huge make or break, right? I mean, it could take five years to clean up that get a doot, get, 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 get a doot, get the little get that, 
those two 30-second diddles in there, yeah, you can hear that, that that's something he's worked out. For anybody watching that hears a groove like that, there are subtleties in that kind of groove that are really, really important to spend time on. Um, so I can hear a good amount of experience in his playing for sure. Kick drum sounded good. I'm getting some like boominess through my headphones on it. And I would imagine this guy's into some audio, man. That is a quite a rack behind him. <laughs> That's intense. Really good, man. That was super, super clean. Very uh, studio player. Let's go to the next one from Peter. Snare way more cranked in this one. It's a ringy snare, but I like it. Man, really, really clean. Definitely studio vibes all day in terms of how he's playing and what yeah. he's playing. Um, in that it's it not a lot of variation, which you would want in a studio recording for sure. I'm gonna watch that one one more time because there I think I talked over one. Cool little deal he played. Man, so his left hand buzzing is weird. I'll explain that in a second. Yeah, what exactly was that? That was a... Some sort of delayed effect? What was it? So uh, if you look closely on the rim of the snare, there's a solenoid. Uh, and what that is okay. is a Czech company called Basslin Instruments Okay, makes uh, basically a modular synthesizer Okay, uh, that attaches to a drum trigger. Uh, and what that does is it's triggered every time he hits the kick drum to randomly disperse quarter notes, eighth notes, 16th notes, 16th triplets on that little solenoid that's on the snare Weird. in a random way. So that's why you don't hear any consistency with the sound, but that's not him hitting the drum. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, I was going to say, I heard almost like, yeah, like an external sort of buzziness come in. Mm -hmm. Really interesting. I'd love to mess around with that. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. Unfortunately, that module that he's playing with has been discontinued i tried to look up the price of it and gotcha see if i could get it because it looks super super cool yeah um but the guys into a lot of modular synthesis okay. separate from drumming which is just a whole other universe that yeah. we have no idea about that explains the audio gear yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh yeah super audio nerd but really cool ideas that that hybrid level of drumming that yeah. kind of takes it one step further sure sure well, yeah, I loved his playing, man. Very, very clean, very articulate. I like the snare tone of that last video, too. I like that, like, controlled ringing, right? It was really, really good. Hell yeah, man. That was an awesome one. So is that all we got from Peter? Yeah, that's it from Peter. All and right. And we'll move on to Eric Drum Wallet. Okay, Drum Wallet. I like I like where your head's at, brother. You can, <laughs> you can play it in any order you want. Okay. Our first one from Eric. out super clean man yeah, a lot of intentional dynamic
super clean. I loved that. I loved that. Awesome. First of all, he's using the same interface that we are right now, isn't he? A Claret 2 channel? It looks like it. It looks like it, yeah. yeah. Hey, man. Goes to she. Well, who knows? It seems like he's got more than two mics that I can see. Who knows? But it seems like a pretty simplistic audio setup, and the kit sounds good, like dialed in, fat funk kit for sure. I thought the whole kit sounded awesome. See, he's got the big fat snare drum on there, dry, fat sort of sound. Man, really, really clean. There's something about people that that spend enough time in the funk universe that get this like very tasteful approach. He had a couple of really complex fills. One that was like sort of herta based towards the end. Um, we're gonna watch this again, but yeah, it's just very, very tasteful, man. Something about people that put in the time listening to a lot of funk stuff, like their intuitions of which fill would fit here and which hi hats to bark, are just like, ugh, that was the right one, you know, Nate Smithish. Another Herta one in here. Yeah, right? Like that was a. Right? Just a yeah. funk song waiting to happen, right? Yeah. Super tasteful. Man, that was awesome. Uh, this is Eric. Let's do one more from him. That is our same interface for sure. That's definitely yeah. that two channel. That sounds killer, man. Yeah, really cool. You know what this groove reminds me of is Mark Letiri, guitar player for, well, a bunch of people, but Snarky Puppy. He put out an album called Deep, which was themed around uh, a baritone guitar. Super, super deep, deep guitar sound, like a like a bass with six strings, basically. Um, and in there, there's a song called, I want to say, Ridge Head, Ridge Something. Anyway, if anybody knows that song, I won't play it because of copyright, but um, if anybody knows that song, this groove sounds a lot like the beginning of that song. And it's weird because I don't really know what genre to put it in. I guess like hybridized funk would be the, would be the, the correct way to like categorize a groove like that, but really, really cool. And I love when you can hear in a drummer's playing like this, you can like hear their influence, that it's all sort of that that funk style, which is just a, a super fun, enjoyable style of drums. If there's one genre I could revisit and and play a lot more of, learn a lot more from, it would be it would be funk like this. Some of these deeply syncopated, like it's a fundamentally a rock groove, but there's so much play happening uh, all over the place. So this is really clean, intentional, good studio stuff. You shred, Eric. I really like this, man. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of uh, Darren King. 
Yeah, yeah. Drummer Who's, for Mute Math. Yeah. yeah. He's definitely that funk rock hybrid Darren King is, that's for sure. A lot of the, what's the way to say it? Just like offbeat hi-hat barks that are in sort of a rock context, but it adds that like funky dance I don't know, unexpected jab element that is a lot of funk playing. So that was really cool, man. He's a sick, sick player. Cool. And then next up we have Genghis Conway. Go ahead Genghis and click Khan. on the the live. The clip. live one. Okay. With the blue lights. Yeah. Okay. Genghis Khan. Here we go. Man, really, really good. I love when somebody is a live player and it's obvious because they play with a good amount of power and just punch to their playing. He was playing through the kit. That was so audible. Even with uh, an incredibly heavy mix, you know, of the the guitar arpeggiation thing happening in the background and, you know, a full band mix happening here. There is something about the way you play drums live when you really dig in and just make that kit cut through everything. It just makes for a good live drummer. So... In this case, yeah, I hear um, just just a really natural live player being heavy-handed, playing through the cymbals, through the toms. Everything was really audible and clear. And some pretty advanced concepts, too. I saw some classic, like, you know, right, left, right, left, kick, kick. Like, I saw some classic big enders, but also you had some bludges in there and some uh, some wild phrasing ideas that lined up with those specific hits of the band. So I thought that was really clean. Good example of just, like, a solid live drummer, you know, good volume and uh, good projection. Let's do one more from him. T17? Play that kid. You hear that power even on electric kit, right? Heavy handed guy. Really good, surprisingly good dynamics for such a heavy-handed player. It is interesting to see him naturally have a higher volume, but then quite easily just sort of like calm everything down. Right? That's cool. That's a um, that's a, a sign of a veteran for sure. That he's got this natural dynamic, but he's not stuck there. He can easily bring everything back down. I just saw some really cool, like that's the best way to say it. What seemed like sweeping, which is you have diddles, so like right, right, or left, left, but inside of the diddle, you orchestrate. So if you have right, right, with nothing in between them, that skips between different drums. So, so some sort of sweeping, but then also like 
like sweeping with like linear kicks jammed in between. So like right kick, right kick, left kick, left kick, like moving. A couple of really advanced phrasing ideas in there. And his kick and hand singles were very clean. Bum, 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 bum. You know, just hand foot, hand foot, hand foot. Definitely some advanced phrases in there, man. So for sure, it's a fun drummer to watch. And I like how, I've said this before in other podcasts, but like I love the... The freeform talking element. When I love when people can just sit down and begin talking on the drum set when it's not exclusively rehearsed parts that we need those drummers too. Um, I'm just a big fan when somebody sits down and talks because I feel like I heard this guy's voice in this clip, right? This is what you have to say. Um, so that was really cool. And I like the contrast of full-blown rock kit live playing and then sort of at home in the practice room with, I think it's a TD-17, an electronic kit. So, yeah, man, that was really, really cool. Killer drummer. Killer drummer. Great ideas. That'll do it for Sleeper Spotlight. Boom, If you guys boom. have any suggestions for Sleeper Spotlight, then send them on over to chris at orlandodrummer.com or oh, comment yeah. below on the YouTube video or on Instagram or the forums of orlandodrummer.com. Anywhere oh, yeah. you want, send them to me. Send them over. And now we'll move on to accent or ghost. Oh yeah, ghosting everybody. So if you haven't heard of this segment before, it's basically I will present Adam with the topic and he will approve it, accent it, or disapprove it, ghost it. And that'll be the final verdict for that. Oh yeah, It'll final be, verdict. What I say goes. Yeah. Uh, and that's the deal. <laughs> until someone else speaks up. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so first one has a video in tandem with it. Uh, okay. The topic is bare hand drumming. And if you go ahead and click on Ricardo Merlini. Okay. Uh, it's the snare. Let's watch this, this guy. This is where everything starts from. Oh, this guy is so fast. I've seen his hands. I can't do that, but I just can't do it. <laughs> oh. Dude, he just has this muscle twitch on him. I cannot play that fast, not even close. <laughs> so I've seen these videos before, where in a couple he's just is like, here's how fast my single strokes go. It's just next level, man. It's And I'll tell you my one gripe. I don't want to say gripe because it's not like I've dug into his content necessarily. But I do want to hear him move these around a kid and sort of be a little bit more expressive with them. But just in these like, um, what's the word? Like these exhibition videos. Just like look at this. Which even Johnny Mathar. Mathar. I don't know how to pronounce his name. He, he's kind of in that category too where sometimes it's just a straight up exhibition. Like look what I can do. God, it's so cool, man. He's so unbelievably fast. Um, it's I, Here's the thing. It's a specialized skill because there are only so many genres of music where you would ever have to go that fast. But one of the advantages of practicing those crazy techniques like that, you know, I guess you, you just, by comparison, so many things become easier. When you can play that fast with that much control, playing slow is just like, you can almost fall asleep when you're playing certain things, right? So, man... You know, for me personally, bare-handed drumming is, it's just a whole different world. Like the techniques that you have to use. I'll give you an example of something that happened. Um, I had to film some cajon videos for Minel several years ago. And I had to play the cajon. And their feedback was really interesting because they were like, well, if we close our eyes 
and don't watch the video and just listen, it sounds great. Like what I'm playing like made sense and you know the tones were all fine, but they were like, if we watch you, it's really obvious that you don't play cajon, which I don't at all. So all of the new sets of techniques that you would use for drumming with your hands, I, I just really don't know what a lot of those are. So for me, that's that's my lack of interest is just like, ugh, new techniques, you know? It's just, it's, it's a whole different world that I'm not particularly into. But I do think it's interesting when, you know, Benny Grab obviously, obviously has done this quite a bit. Um, you know, in the context of a drum solo, just get different tones by using your hands for sure. I'm also fascinated with how, like, there's no real discernible rebound. So he's almost yeah. controlling the upstroke as well because you're not having all this energy come back, right? So it's a whole different set of techniques, which is where I sort of depart from drumming with your hands. But this dude absolutely shreds. I mean, he's next level good. That was unbelievably fast. Even both of us trying it here just on the desk, like, nah, nah. I'm like a solid 40 BPM behind that guy. He shreds. Go check him out on Instagram if you haven't seen him. Um, so for him, I mean, shit, if you're doing that, hard accent, man. How could you not? But for me, you won't see me doing any hand drumming on the kit. So we're going to ghost it. We'll go ghost it for me. I think for most people, it's a ghost. Are you this guy? Are you Benny Grab? No. Are you really going to put down your sticks to play with your hands? Yeah. Are you going to murder your hands just to play barehanded for, you know, a solo? Sure. It's not really. And yeah. And, you know, a valid argument is, you know, are you done working on the stuff you have to work on with sticks? Like, <laughs> like probably not, right? It's one of those things where when people get into, let's just say you're in your first year of playing and then people want to work on left foot hi-hat splashing. I'm like, okay, I mean, you can, it's not a bad idea, but also there's a lot more important things than like when you get into the more obscure techniques. I think sometimes it's important to just, you know, set some priorities out here. So like, I think playing the drums with your hands, like on a drum set, that's gotta go relatively low on the priority list. Yeah. You know, obviously the example here is with like this crazy specialist, you know. Um, so yeah, I think for most people, you'd probably ghost it. You got other stuff to work on, man. More important, more more tactical stuff that's just actually gonna make a difference in your playing. Unless you're in a Latin band, who knows? Mm -hmm. I don't wanna speak for everybody, but yeah. yeah. Latin <laughs> or orchestral pieces that require hand Sure, drumming. sure. So next topic is dial tune drums. And right. if you don't know what those are, Wajtech, however you pronounce his last name, I Watch won't butcher tech. it. Yeah. Wajtech <laughs> on Instagram is a pretty well-known drummer on Instagram. Has done a couple videos with these drums where he's tuning up or down in the middle of playing to kind of change the style of the beat. And he's able to tune in the middle of playing, which just changes the sound of what he's playing. And it's versatile, but wanted to know your thoughts on it. Sure. So yeah, I got the website pulled up here. There are, man, they're, they're priced about right. These are all in the ballpark of about $1,000. And I mean, they look beautiful, man. Absolutely beautiful. So the thing is, you know, I'm never convinced that the current popular realm of technology is the best one. That would always be a foolish thing to assume. So when I see like a, a tuning innovation that actually works, it's sort of like, huh, maybe this is the way to go, where there's a big fat dial on the side of the drum and it tunes all of them together. You know, getting costs down so you can mass produce these, so a version of this type of snare could exist way under $1,000. You know, that that's something that, that might take some time. But yeah, man, I think it's a really, really interesting concept. I would love to have one in studio to actually mess with it and see how complex is it um, also, how, how tough is this? Can it break? Does it require maintenance? So those are some initial questions that I would have. 
but these are absolutely beautiful drums. I mean, they're very, very cool looking. I also wonder how heavy it is, because it looks like there's a bit of extra hardware. I bet it's really heavy. I bet it's real heavy. Yeah. But, you know, that's a weird trade-off, because if you're a touring drummer, you know, you don't want heavy gear, necessarily. That kind of sucks if you're moving it all the time. But if you... Man, I mean, if you could tune your snare up in between songs, that has a real application for a live drummer, right? Because if you could crank it for one song and then lower it down for like the ballad or something, for example. So I think this is really, really cool technology. And kind of in this wheelhouse is a true tuner, right? Mm -hmm. That big disc that you put over and then you crank a thing in the middle. Stuff like that makes sense to me. I think one of the challenges of tuning is that you are you know, trying to match all of these different lugs together and listen to them individually. Obviously, things like... TuneBot and DrumDial and some of those other devices are starting to help make that a little bit easier. But I'm kind of convinced that this tech will ultimately make more sense as it gets refined and dialed in. Dial tune. Um, so yeah, I need to do a little bit more research on these, but it is very, very interesting. Very interesting. Oh, I see, um, what is his name? Sounds like a drum. Sounds like a drum. That, that YouTube channel, killer YouTube channel. It seems like they have a, a video on it. As well, I'll have to watch that later. Um, but yeah, man, I don't know. I, it, I'm, my question is how refined is this technology and how how are they gonna be able to scale this to get the prices down? Because if this just has to be $1,000 and up for people to own it, obviously it's not something that a lot of drummers are gonna be able to, to afford on like this big, big scale. But I could envision a world in five years or in 10 years where this is just how snares are made because it just makes that much more sense than individually tuning the lugs. But I'll give it the hard accent. I'm glad that... that uh, so I'm going to use the pun again, that somebody is like dialing in on this tech, right? And it's sort of refining it. I'm excited about that. I think uh, I think there's a lot here. <laughs> so hard accent. Yeah, right. hard accent on that. Very cool. Very cool. cool. And then just got a photo, just a little bit of a fun one. Okay. All right, go ahead and uh, click on uh, Instagram post. <laughs> Wait a minute. Okay, so these are... Turk, uh, if I'm not mistaken, okay, I've owned one, so I can say this looks exactly like it. Turkey air fryers. Uh, last Thanksgiving, we had our oven went out, yeah, and uh, well, we just hadn't used it in a long time, and uh, you know, I have, a, I have a countertop oven, a little easier one, and our oven went out. We were like, oh shit, we have to go cook a turkey. What are we doing? So we went to Home Depot, got a turkey, like an oil fryer, and it looks like this. Because I ended up repurposing this same aluminum, <laughs> aluminum type thing um, for like a water bucket for my chickens, actually. So I, yeah, I really know exactly what these are. They're just like the the kick drum is like an industrial fryer. <laughs> yeah. That's what that is, right? So, and is this in a kitchen? It could be in a kitchen. I, I, I think it might be. Are it, there's it, like grills on the table behind it. I'm not, I'm not too sure. I, I just found this on Instagram. Uh, the Instagram's Lotteretta 2020. Um, just for fun, I guess, is the caption on that. Yeah. It's a very small little post that I found. I thought it was funny because we all kind of hear the trope of, like, drummers begin by banging on pots and pots pans. Pots and pans. Yeah, baby. So there's some pots and pans for you if you really wanted to invest in yeah. a higher-level pots and pans <laughs> kit. There's well, your pots and pans kit. What's funny, I mean, obviously, it's not going to sound like a drum set, but what's funny is that it would have it would have tones to it because they look like some different size, right? Some different size, um, like, aluminum actual pots so i think that you would it would be very metallic but you would have like ging gong gong like you would have some different tones yeah. i bet that kick drum sounds 
horrible. <laughs> it's it terribly like for no reason at all, just for fun. You yeah. couldn't put this in any sort of environment and it be at home. Yeah, it would just be obnoxious. <laughs> I like the the symbols as the actual lids too. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Man, well, if you need to cook like you know a meal for sixty five people and you want to play drums, just hit up these people. Lotteretta twenty twenty. <laughs> And, uh, I'll give it the accent. That's cool. Why not? <laughs> Hanging out of the kitchen, you get bored. Why not, man? I'll give that the accent. Sweet. Now, m- maybe a more controversial topic. Um, a lot of people do this as a little bit of self-expression, but when you paint your bass drum rezzo head with some sort of logo or name or painting, art, sure. whatever, wanted to know your thoughts. So, I know, what is Evan's program for this? Evan's Inked? I think is what it's called. They actually have um, some program where you can like, it's like screen printing. You just upload an image and they'll, they'll put anything on there. Um, I think it's cool. I think it's it's most cool if you're in like an original band, for sure. I think that's, that's a really cool thing to do. I would say if you're at all sacrificing quality and you're like buying some horrible rezzo head just to, so you can have art on it and afford to get the art, that's a little a little silly for sure. Um, you know, one I've thought about doing this before. What I don't like is like the commitment and that your whole kit now looks exactly like this thing and it sort of dominates or takes away from the beauty that is the instrument itself because let's be honest, it's like a bumper sticker for your drum set. That's, that's all that really is. Um, I do think from a branding perspective, it would be wise for a band, like an original project, to if everybody throws in together and spends the 120 or 150 bucks to get that kick drum head because let's be honest it's the big thing that directly faces the audience so from a branding perspective yeah it's a good idea for sure for instagram content eh, i think that's a little weak you don't really need to do that it's just overkill for what that is um but i think another cool way to think about this too is the different environments that you might find your drum set in so if you had, let's say, three or four options of the, those rezzo heads, you could put one on that is appropriate for the setting that you're going to be in. So maybe for the big show, right? Like let's say you're playing the biggest show your band has ever played. Get the one with the band's name in huge, bold letters, right? That might be a good idea. But then when you're playing the small bar gig or let's say like the jazz lounge, right? If you're doing like a little cocktail hour situation, get something tasteful and appropriate because if you have one that's like, we are the, you know, (laughs) whatever (laughs) metal band we are, but you find yourself doing other types of musical projects where that doesn't make any sense, you know? Maybe have some options in there, sort of like your wardrobe. Like you don't want all suits and you don't want all like jean jackets, right? Like you have a little bit of variation so you can um, keep it appropriate with whatever environment you find yourself in. So yeah, that that would be my long-term way to go. For me, just black is how I do it. I'm not trying to make a statement. I think there's enough pretty things in this studio where I don't really need to take away from some of the other aesthetic designs that I focused on necessarily. So for me, like clean and black is the way to go. It's another one of those for like, for me, I'm ghosting it. I'm not gonna brand my kick drum necessarily. But if I was in a band and we were playing shows around, like for sure, for sure, slap a logo on it. I think that's like mere marketing and it's a great idea. Do you think that sacrifices any sort of sound quality? Like if you were to do it in a studio setting or even a professional live setting? 
Probably not. Not. I mean, I guess I would have to know a little more about the details of how they actually print on top of the heads, right? You'd have to know exactly what they're doing because in theory, yeah, if you added enough material or matter or ink or whatever it is to the head, then I, I guess you would be dealing with like slightly more of a muted rezzo head. But for the most part on a kick drum with the rezzo, no, you can get away with a lot before it actually makes a difference. But um, yeah, I would just be curious, maybe I should look this up, but yeah, what exactly goes into the process of printing on one of those heads? And of course, the other thing we should mention too, if there's one head that I've accidentally broken more than any other, it's the kick drum rezzo head because it has a microphone, in my studio, it has a microphone on a stand that sticks inside of it. And yes, I have the porthole protector, but I also have a savage dog and like, Three times he's just sprint sprinted past the kick drum or body slammed it for no reason and uh, you know just jammed the stand of the kick drum mic like into the side and crack it happens it just happens so yeah maybe that's something to consider before you spend like 150 bucks on a custom you know big big old 22 inch kick drum rezzo head um, that they do break they break a little easier for me than any other head I've had and on accident because it's not like you hit it but it just happens so. Yeah, you know, pros and cons. No pit bulls around the drum set. Yeah, keep a pit bull away down. from your kid. Keep my pit bull away from your kid. <laughs> we going to accent or are we going to ghost that? Um, I'll go ahead and accent it. I think for a lot of people, it's going to make a lot of sense just from a marketing standpoint. Yeah. And then last is maybe not so much a topic, but uh, sort of a technique that I've found. Uh, okay. It's the last video that I have for you today. Okay. This is the keyboard, I take yeah. it. Yeah. All right. Let's see what we got here. Very cool. <laughs> that was awesome. Obviously, um, drummers like Josh Dion comes to mind, who's just an absolute, uh, just a very unique musician all around. So I, I want to give this the accent right away. This is just, it's a super cool way to be musically expressive. I've seen drummers do this with uh, guitar and bass and all sorts of the multi-instrumentalist stuff that you can do, right? There's a lot of combinations. You know, you also got to remember that we use four limbs to play drums quite often, but you know, you can play a number of instruments with only one or two hands, guitarists being a great example. I mean, yeah, they stomp on pedals, but for the most part, they just exclude two of their limbs entirely from their musical expression. For drummers, we think of that as like, if you lost one of your limbs, like, oh my God, what would I do? But, you know, there's a lot of instruments where you don't even use all four to begin with. So the idea that you would take one of your hands out of the equation of playing drums, I don't think that detracts necessarily from like what you're able to do on drums. You still got three limbs to do all sorts of wild rhythmic combinations. So I like this approach a lot. 
it's one of, another one of those where it's like, for me, I'm not necessarily interested in, um, in adding other instruments to, to my setup. I'm a little bit more of like a drum purist and then I just like playing the drums for what it is. And if I was going to play piano, I'm going to go to the other side of the room and play the, play the piano. But I like this setup and I also, I, I firmly believe that there is a lot to be gained by doing this sort of thing, by forcing some of those mental separations, developing like more of a mental independence where you can assign a certain part of your brain over here to do this sort of thing and sort of separately assign the drummer part of your brain to do drummer things. I've always thought that there's gotta be some really cool cognitive benefits that happen from that. Uh, And then also, of course, there's that comparison where if you can play certain ideas while also playing piano and you get that worked out, well, when the piano goes away or the keyboard, whatever this particular instrument is, when that goes away and it's back to just playing drums, by comparison, how much easier is it to just play normal drum parts, right? You could turn yourself into this like really proficient one-handed drummer uh, because you're so used to having your left hand over here doing something else on the keyboard, right? Uh, And again, my favorite example of this is definitely Josh Dion. He's... um, And he sings as well. So you're talking this crazy three-way separation where a chunk of his brain goes to drums, another chunk goes to keys, and another chunk goes to vocals. So that is a... Uh, an impressive level of independence, um, as it is when anybody does this sort of thing, right? There's definitely other drummers that have, that have done this before, but um, really cool, man. Really, really cool. I got nothing bad to say about it at all, so I will give that the accent. The accent. Oh, yeah. Full accents today, minus a small little ghost. Yeah. So I'm going to hand it over to you to close it out, but I'll have you answer a question that I've been thinking about lately. Okay. Where do you draw the line between necessity and luxury when it comes to drumming? Necessity and luxury. So, well, obviously studio stuff comes to mind, right? Because you and I have talked a lot about different gear purchases in here or even questions about like, why did I buy this and what does it do? And you helped set up a lot of this studio when we first moved in here. I think one important thing... Really, so necessity could go either direction, right? Because I, I deal with this with people that, that write in with gear questions, and they'll say, should I get the 8-channel Scarlet interface, or should I get the 8-channel Claret interface? And the reality is, they're both fine. They're both totally fine, but it depends on what your desired outcome is. So for me, the line between necessity and luxury is oftentimes relevant to what is the goal. Because if you said, you know, I want to be able to record some Instagram videos, maybe cut um, a, a drum cover for my YouTube channel, and I'd like to do some basic scratch recordings for this band, this project that I'm in. In that case, you know, what you what you necessarily need is is not luxurious pieces of gear. You don't need high-end Earthworks microphones. You don't need an AKG C414 for your overheads. Um, if, if ultimately you're just creating some some drum covers, you might just need a GoPro, and you might need the you know like a basic pack of Shure microphones and the cheaper option for an interface, maybe just the live mixer. So in a case like that, what you necessarily need is not that expensive. It's not that outrageous. And in your case. You know, buying the Claret, buying the Earthworks microphones, buying that nicer camera lens, that would all be defined as luxurious. It's above and beyond what you actually need. 
But conversely, if you said, I want to run a recording studio that is competitive in my city, I want to be a destination for bands to come to me and have a professionally mixed album, I want to be able to cut, um, let's say, high-end music videos that can compete with other videographers in my area, or I want to be very competitive in the YouTube space, whether it's drums or any other type of sector you could think of. You know, if that's what you're going for, then all of a sudden, that $600 camera lens, the $2,000 in microphones, the $1,200 interface, all of a sudden, that's not luxurious anymore. It is a necessity because this is your whole world. This is what you want to do, and this is the market that you want to compete within. So for me, you know, I look around my studio, and and I do have uh, expensive gear, gear that I put my life savings into. But I don't define it as luxurious necessarily because this is what I do for a living. And if my goals changed, you know, the goalposts kind of move uh, for the for the gears for the gear itself, right? Like uh, it would this would all be considered hyper luxurious if this was just my hobby. But it's not. It's very much what I do for a living. So for me, it is very important that I have high-end professional gear. With that said, I'm not running Apogee duets and Neumann microphones and using a Rupert Neve board, you know, or a baby SSL, right? I mean, there's levels to this game for sure. But I think a lot of times um, when you think about spending in the long term, ten or twenty thousand dollars in gear. You know, yes, you can call that luxurious for a hobbyist. It certainly would be. But that's not the case if your goal is to operate and compete in a space where everybody has to have that level of gear because that's the quality of content that you want to actually put out. So maybe that's a good thought experiment for the week is, you know, if you're looking into new gear, which let's be honest, all musicians and all drummers seem to constantly be looking for new gear, even if we don't need it. But I guess ask yourself, where do you, where do you want this to go, right? If, if your long-term goal is ultimately just to create let's say, content for personal enjoyment or have a a, um, a studio that caters just to your hobby, right? If that's how you define all of this, um, then yeah, you can draw some of those lines a little bit earlier and say, maybe I don't have to spend that much money. Maybe I'd be happy with some sort of more more fundamental setup. But if that's not the case, if you want to be competitive and and really like hang with the big dogs in the recording world, they have spent some money on recording gear and, and you get what you pay for a lot of times. So yeah, I think that's how I would draw that line between necessity and luxury. Just comes down to what is your desired outcome here and uh, what level of gear do you need to reach that desired outcome? Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Cool. Well, we will leave it at that. This has been Orlando Drummer Podcast, episode number five. Hope you guys enjoyed it. And of course, here's your formal invitation to come join me on OrlandoDrummer.com. It is an online education platform, very much in the style of Netflix. If you can imagine Netflix for drum lessons, that's what it is. There's over 160 hours of content there. That's the equivalent of about 50 drum DVDs. Um, and you'll also find one of the largest libraries of drumless playalongs in the world. Members can stream all of this content for for free, offline playback inside of our mobile apps, which are for iOS and Android. It's a lot of fun. We'd love to have you on board. You can do a free trial for seven days to see if you like it before you have to pay anything at all. Um, and yeah, that is my, that's my plug for this week. So thank you guys for watching. Thank you, Chris. You're welcome. All right. We will catch you guys in the next one, episode six. See you there. Bye.